Welcome to another episode of the John Talks Podcast. I'm joined by my buddy Stephen Inman for another edition of Baseball Talk. Today we'll talk about the legacy of Johannes Cespedes and Jose Reyes. The Yankees are off to a hot start, best team in the league, and some injuries around the league. Not COVID-related, Shohei Otani and Mike Soroka. But Steve, we bring you on. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, John. Thanks for having me on. All right. So two departures. One is a shock to, to Metzlandia. The other, not a surprise, Jose Reyes retiring. We'll get to that in a second. I'm not surprised that Johannes Cespedes opted out, uh, but the way that it was handled was not what you want exactly. And here's the thing. I know that everybody loves to pile up on the Mets, but somebody in Cespedes' camp has to let the, the proper channels know that he's leaving, right? Or he's contemplating on leaving because Cespedes the night before told teammates that he was leaving, but he didn't tell the manager. He didn't tell Brody. He didn't tell some front office guy and he didn't have his agent do it. I don't know what, I feel like Cespedes is more at fault here, but because he brought the team to the world series in 2015 and, and brought them to the playoffs in 2016, everyone's letting that slide, but it's like, this was not handled right by Cespedes either. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the most polarizing player in Mets history. So of course this has to end the way it, it ended because it's just a bizarre situation. And we just don't have all the details. Cause you know, did he t- like, what is the agent or his representative or his manager? What if they weren't told either, you know? So it's, right. we don't really know who's at fault here other than we know Cespedes is at fault. You know, the Mets come out with this odd statement early on in the game saying he's missing. We don't know where he is. And everyone's like worried for their, for his health. And then, you know, I don't think the Mets were really expecting something like that. So then they come out with like another statement to reporters saying, oh, no, but he's fine. We just don't know where he is. Well, if you don't know where he is, how do you know he's fine? So it's, right. it's a, it's, they're both at fault. And it's one of these things that made me think, thank God we have new ownership coming in because these kind of weird lack of communication things have been going on for 20 years now. And I have a hope that a new ownership group will put an end to that kind of stuff and it'll be more of a professional organization going forward. I mean, we'll see what happens, especially with that. And listen, there's no reason to believe that whoever the new owners are will be straight-headed. I mean, they could also, you know, not have proper communication channels. Well, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Situation. Like, like, this is not surprising. Like, this is not well, a listen, surprising listen, story. Here's it's a, a very met, moment, very met moment, as you said. So it's I, – I have to believe that someone else coming in is going to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen as frequently as it does. I think, well, here's the thing. The Mets fan base is, I think, the most unique fan base in baseball in that the attention of the New York media market, the way that things have happened, you're right, this is a Mets story. This is so apropos of this happening to the Mets, and we'll get into this with Reyes in a second, too. I think you're right with the polarization with Cespedes. He's not the most polarizing Met. That's Daryl Strawberry um, for what he was able to do. But certainly of the last generation, yes, Cespedes, I get it. 100%, especially with the drama, the flair for the dramatic. And here's the crazy thing about Cespedes. Whenever he played, he was good. So I think that's why a lot of fans gave him a lot of – they gave him a lot of rope. But I still think Cespedes is wrong here. And he'll he'll be one of my favorite Mets ever, and they don't get to the World Series without him. They don't get to the playoffs in 2016, which I thought was an even bigger feat considering that that team was was running on – on paper clips and, and glue sticks. And I mean, that team was falling apart and they managed to have a home game in the wild card. But yeah, having said that, Steve, I, I, I feel like that's how we're going to remember Cespedes for what he did in 2015 uh, for the Mets and what he did in 2016 more than what's happened recently. But it'll probably be, 
He was the hero in 2015-16, and then after that, injury-ridden. But when he played, he was good, but he didn't play enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to stick with he's more polarizing than Daryl because, like, you look at how this started. They didn't even want him. Remember, Sandy didn't want him. He wanted, you know, Justin Upton. They were talking about Jay Bruce. They wanted the guys who were more on-base focused guys. And Cespedes was a free swinger. You know, they gave up Michael Fulmer for him, a, a kid who looked like he was going to be one of the better pitchers in this game, and he gets hurt. You know, Cespedes carries the team to the World Series, and then how does the World Series start? It starts with him kicking a ball in center field inside the park home run. And, you know, they were down in that game from the very beginning. And, you know, they lose in five games. And I think if they had won that, that World Series, I don't think we're talking about Cespedes the way we are right now. You know, he has a huge game, you know, season in 2016, you know, on a, again, on a one-year contract. And then he starts this, you know, monster four-year $110 million deal where if you just go based on that, that's one of the worst contracts the Mets have ever given anybody <laughs> because, you know, 2018, he plays in half the season. 2019, he doesn't play. 2020, you know, they take away most of his, his guaranteed money. He's playing on incentives. He has a day off in Boston. He pouts. You know, he's hitting a buck 70. And then all of a sudden, he just – whether – we don't know exactly what happened, but we know something bad happened here. And he just walks off, you know, they're not aware of what's going on and we'll never see him again. And it's, it's a bizarre – ending but at the same time um i'm gonna think of him fondly i think you know you had this you know big power bat in a organization that's been known for their pitching and they haven't really had a a a guy like him come in and carry a team offensively like this in the history of the franchise so well since piazza 100 percent and yeah but and- like piazza didn't come in and carry them to like steve a world series steve, that year. steve did you watch Right, but I mean, he brought them to the playoffs in 99. I get that he was a midseason acquisition. I get what you're saying, too, but you're right. The Mets hadn't had a, a hitter like that magnitude like, that always what, came what up I mean in the clutch like, he since was, Piazza. He was like, they were going nowhere. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they bring him in, and they steal this division. They win, was it, 97 games. They, they go on this huge run, and they looked like they were just floundering around until he got there. And then, you know, he had various injuries for the next couple of years, including 2016. And they look like they're the same team without him as they were the year before. And then he comes in and he carries them back to the playoffs again. So it's like Piazza, you know, obviously is an all-time great Met. And Piazza will, should be remembered more fondly, obviously, than Ioannis Espinus. But I've never seen a player carry the Mets the way he did for that very short period of time. Yeah, no, you're 100% right with that. And you're right. Piazza did. Piazza struggled in the beginning. You're right. Um, but you're right. They haven't had a power bat. Piazza, Beltron, I, that's it, really. Delgado for the end of 2008, and they right. didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so that's three instances in a matter of 20 years, give or yeah. take. I've just never seen a guy turn around the Mets the way he did for that short period of time, you know? Yeah. No, and you're right. You're right on the polarization of this generation. The only reason I say it with Daryl is that he, he's, he was a homegrown Met. Um, he would feud with the front office. That's um, why I think he was more beloved than, than, Dar- than uh, Cespedes because he was a homegrown Met. You know? Right. But well, then, you've got, then yeah. you've got, right. And then you've got Frank Cashin scoffing in an interview um, saying that he wasn't worth Jose Canseco money, which, listen, we could go back and we could debate that. And, and then you've got him going to LA, Daryl later coming out saying, I never should have left. Uh, but listen, you listen to all these old-time crony t- sports talk cronies, and they talk about before Alex Rodriguez, Daryl Strawberry was the guy that was the lightning rod 
in the city because he was just so talented in what he was able to do. But listen, that's neither here nor there. Uh, both of those guys are looked back fondly because they won. Well, Strawberry won the World Series. Cespedes got the Mets to the World Series, but you're right, carried them on the shoulders. I think Evan Roberts said it best, and I've heard other people say this too. This was the Mets marrying a one-night stand. I did hear him say that. Yeah. So I, so I thought that was more apropos looking back at it now. And listen, hindsight is twenty twenty. In the moment, I wanted the Mets to re-sign Cespedes twice because of what he was able to do. They should have signed Murphy over Cespedes. They should have like done that, that's, that's, well, they that's kind done of both, why right? we're looking forward to this new ownership is because, you know, Murphy, Murphy got $10 million a year. It's a three-year, $36 million deal. It's $12 million a year. You know, they should have room for both of those guys when you're having a, you know, 10-game at home playoff, you know, streak and you know it just doesn't make sense that they would let him go especially considering how they felt so confident that the changes he made were real and then they still were like hey you can go to a division rival it's fine we'll figure something else out well and here's the thing too that i've heard and i agree with if murphy was so confident in his change in in his changes he should have opted into the qualifying offer and they get paid a hundred million dollars for the season that he had in 2016 and I think that's the reason why the ownership felt the pressure to sign Cespedes because they had to live with Murphy being a runner-up in the MVP race in 2016 for the Nationals. Yeah. And they let him walk out the door. Remember, the, the Mets still have the stench of Justin Turner on their hands. <laughs> Which, by the way, listen, Justin Turner was always good. But, but this, is, this is revisionist history here. Where were you going to play Justin Turner? Well, like, I mean, like, well, like he wasn't I- a shortstop. He wasn't a shortstop. David Wright was still healthy. And Daniel Murphy was the second baseman. And, and they were trying to figure out if Duda or Ike Davis were what was the first baseman of the future. I mean, the thing is, Turner became a star in L.A., right? right. He, he had the leg kick. He had these different changes in his swing. Murphy became a star here. And Correct. he figured out what was going on in his swing, how to add power to it while he was here. This wasn't, I went to Washington and figured it out. Right. Justin Turner was a very nice guy. Uh, player who can hit 290 with single digit power that's a guy you want either on your bench or as a part-time player he was going to play a lot because David Wright from that point on basically was never playing again as a full-time player he was in and out of the lineup so Turner who was making not 15 million dollars not 20 million dollars he was making 1 million dollars they decided it was not worth that money they could have kept him in that role and had him as a you know part-time third baseman who could play some second, play, play a little first, and he would have played every day. But it's revisionist history. Who knows how it would have went. But um, they've made a lot of mistakes in terms of their offense in the past, and you just got to hope for better times in the future. 100%. Well, let's stay on the past, too. Jose Reyes officially announced last week that he's retiring from the big leagues. He'll go down as the best Mets shortstop in, in history. Uh, that's not saying a lot, unfortunately. Reyes was the complete package because you can say that the best defender in Mets history was Ray Ordonez, but Jose Reyes had it all. Uh, I think the way that Jose Reyes went out unceremoniously was very on brand for what Jose Reyes meant to the Mets. He was uh, one of the most exciting players, but one of the more complicated players in Mets history. And it wasn't even his fault. He wasn't a guy that was constantly feuding with the manager, feuding with upper management. Uh, he had a long history of injuries after 2009. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the one memory that sticks out is before he came back to sign with the Mets was him bunting, winning the batting title on the last day of the season in 2011, and then opting wow. out. I'll love Jose Reyes, the player. It's tough to root for him knowing the domestic violence issues that he had and the suspensions. 
and it, and let me just say this. It sucks. Like it, it really does suck because I love this guy when I was a kid, but I can't support the man. I can't. Um, and, and, and I think that's very on brand for Jose Reyes. He's a true Met, but as a guy, it, it's, it's really tough to root for him. I don't know if I'm alone, Steve. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have mixed emotions there. Obviously, when I think of him, I think of the two, two most negative moments of him as a Met, which is obviously the domestic violence thing, first and foremost. You know, you don't want to root for a guy like that because right. it's a bad example, you know, for everyone going forward. You can't have that kind of stuff as a role model for children. I mean, it's, it's unacceptable. And then, as you said, I always think of this, and no one really brings it up, so I'm glad you did, that bunt to, you know, hits 337, beats Ryan Braun for that uh, batting title back in like 2011. And he takes himself out of the game. And I was just like, this guy is a me first guy. He then leaves for the money, which is his right. The Mets didn't give him a big contract. I would have done the same thing. But at the same time, he was always a me first guy, it, it felt like, and that kind of exacerbated it. And they didn't win when he was here. You know, they had one big playoff run when he was here. That was 2006. He didn't hit. And if you don't win here on a team that's so desperate for that one championship, we've never seen one in our lifetime, you're not going to be remembered as fondly as you could have been. Right. Uh, 1000%. And it's funny. I don't know how many Mets related videos you watch on YouTube. There's one guy out there. I think he's got about 500 burner accounts. And every time there's a Jose Reyes uh, poster, Jose Reyes shows up in the video the comment is always, Jose Reyes is a clubhouse cancer. Look what happened in Toronto that. when he was there. Look what happened in Colorado. Listen, Jose Reyes is not the reason why the Toronto Blue Jays didn't advance as far as they did. Yeah, same thing with, uh, with Miami, same thing with Colorado. But it having said like when- that, it, 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 I'm sorry, but, but just saying, like, having said that, some of the baggage that, that came around him certainly didn't benefit his teams either. I'm not saying he deserves all the blame, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's... That's it's just tough to encapsulate Jose Reyes as a whole, you know? Yeah. I mean, in terms of as a player, you know, he was as good as short tops can be for his prime. And, you know, when he was here with the Mets, it always felt like they were one player short, you know, and that goes back to ownership, not really giving them the financial might that they needed, you know, Oh seven, Oh eight, they finish a game out of the playoffs. You know, who knows how that ends if they make the playoffs, does he get hot? Are we thinking of him in a different way? You know, and then, you know, when he leaves to go to Miami, it seems like a great situation for him. He's there with his buddy, Hanley Ramirez. They have this brand new ballpark. He's sitting down for dinner after the first year with, his, with the owner, Jeffrey Loria. And Loria is telling him, oh, I have this great place that you got to go get. You got to go buy here in Miami right next to the new ballpark. And three days later, they trade him to Canada. Yeah. And he gets there on this turf with his leg injuries. That was just, you knew that was a career ender. And he really never recovered from that. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, some of the good memories in 2016, obviously the, the game tying home run that uh, a game against the Phillies in which the Mets would ultimately win uh, on his dribble Cabrera, that famous bat flip at the end, but you're right. And, and, and what's a shame is that in his prime or at least those first few years, you can look up the stats. Jose Reyes played about 160 games a year. I'm not even exaggerating him and David Wright would play North of 160 a year and they'd get their one or two off days. And then they would go back on a hot streak the, the day after. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of hoping this group, McNeil and Alonzo, and maybe you can put a Conforto in there, those guys become that group, but it, it just starts with winning. You got you to gotta win, and that's how you're going to get, you know, the fan love and the notoriety, but it starts with staying on the field, and then it becomes, can you win? Right, and then the last thing, too, about the Mets always being one player away. 
I mean, listen, when Omar Minaya was the general manager, they had no problem opening up the checkbooks. You know, Omar went out there and he signed these big guys. Having said that, there were a lot of flops in there too. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Lasting's Millage, whether it's Fernando Martinez, the list goes on and on. I don't think Philip Humber ever, ever became anything for the Mets, never became anything too good. And then Carlos Gomez, they have to trade to get Johan Santana, so I'm not going to knock them on that. But, yeah, it, it, it was a bunch of Band-Aids that tried to fix bullet holes that ultimately were the reason why they didn't uh, get as far as they could have. Okay, current day Mets, 4-8. and eight. Uh, after 12 games, that's good enough for last place in the NL East. We knew that the division would be good. Uh, but, Steve, 4-8, and eight, they're just not hitting. I don't know what you're seeing out of them. DeGrom looks good, but the offense just hasn't been there. They're getting hurt now. It, it's just not a good start in a really small season. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't worried at all because I felt like this offense, these, these hitters are good enough to get this going. But then all of a sudden you start hearing McNeil is hurt, Rosario is hurt, Cano, who is hitting 400 is now hurt and we don't expect him back anytime soon. It's, it's a big problem because now you're going to have these replacement players coming in on a team that already wasn't hitting and you need Andres Jimenez and, you know, you, you trade for Billy Hamilton who hasn't hit in years and you got to need these guys to produce now. It's, it's a big issue and you're four and eight and you think, Oh, it's just four and eight. It's not a big deal, but you know, you're 20% of the season already done. Like this is basically like you're really under 500 by a significant amount in mid May in a normal season. So they're in some big trouble right now. It was funny. I saw SNY posted a tweet that said a year ago today, Scooter and the big man busted the city in half. I didn't do that. And that I'm thinking good. about those fond m- memories just about a year ago. <laughs> the biggest issue they have right now because Alonzo is just lost right now. And he's swinging mm-hmm. at junk. He's getting behind in counts. You've seen him do a little better in terms of, you know, laying off those pitches the last couple of days. It has not resulted in better results. But I'm, I'm concerned there because you worry about him trying to put too much pressure on himself. And, you know, these guys are con- – you know, as I remember, each of these games is basically the equivalent of two, three games. So you wonder if each strikeout is putting more and more pressure on him where, you know, you don't, you don't have your hitting coach around. You know, he's, he's on Zoom. It's hard, you know, to hear on a, on a Zoom message, hey, you're, you're pressing, just take it easy. You know, you get a brand-new manager who's not – in over his head is, is a rough – it's too harsh, but – He's, he's got a lot too much to worry about to be worried about Pete Alonso's psyche. So they're, they're in some trouble here. Yeah, and Luis Rojas, to give him credit, he hasn't made the bonehead decision yet. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I have not liked is he keeps getting these situations where, like, Tomas Nito comes up yesterday. Right. And two guys on, you know, two outs, and you have Dom Smith just sitting on the bench. They have three of they have three catchers right now with the 30-man roster. That's the big move. And you know what? Dom can line out. Dom can strike out. It might not have worked anyway. But that's really the only thing where I'm like, yeah, you like, you've been a little asleep at the wheel with stuff like that. But overall, it's been fine. I mean, he's, he's learning. He's, this is probably the hardest situation a new manager's ever had to be in. I mean, you're in a pandemic. You are re- replacing a Met legend who was fired for something he did on another team oh and by the way they're getting new owners so if you're not good at your job they're going to replace you at the end of the year so it's there's so much on Luis Rojas right now it's really hard to kind of be like yeah he should have hit Dom Smith there it's there's so much on his plate well and another pitcher too that's really not living up to the expectations and I think we gave him high expectations but we have to just call it is what it is Steven Matz is an okay pitcher like, he's got the potential to be a good pitcher, but so far he's just been okay. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, 
if he's your fifth guy, if he's your fourth guy, it's a pretty good rotation. But right now he's your number two, and no one behind him is really even close to him, which is another issue because Matt's has been not great. And he had the, the one good start, the one okay start, and the one bad start. And you really need him to step up and kind of be Syndergaard and Wheeler. And he's having a below average year to start. So it's, it's a big issue. Right. He gives up five runs last night to the Nationals and only three innings of work. like an inning or two. There's just one, right. two big innings, and it seems like it's all between the ears. It, you know, Wheeler went through this for a bit, and it's, it's tough because, you know, you're on a new pitching coach, and, you know, they're talking about on the broadcast, you know, his two-seamers acting like a four-seamer and vice versa, and it, it seems like he's all in his head about what he should even be throwing in a game. So I, it's, it's a concern right now, and if he and he has an injury history too, so if they lose him, it's it's big trouble because they really have one starter they can depend on right now. A hundred percent, yeah. And that's that's the crazy thing about it is that it, it is those those one big innings that compound. And what's funny about it is, I, I mean, I guess if you want to give Rojas credit, he takes Mats out. He doesn't have Mats stretch uh, as long as he could. The Mets were in that game last night. They had ample opportunity to to tie the game and come back and win. And they just didn't do it. And they had Patrick Corbin on the ropes, who I know we're in the same fantasy league. He was an out away from a quality start, which really irked me. <laughs> I had the same thing with Charlie Morton yesterday. It just drives me crazy. Oh, it's, it's the worst. They're never in trouble either. It's just like, eh, hey, time. Right, like, yeah. I don't understand that at all. But Their time through the lineup, get him out. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last time that you were on the, on the pod, we did predictions for the year. And then after, after we stopped recording – Baseball announced that they would have 16 teams in the playoffs. Uh, there was just a whole bunch of stuff that went down. Uh, having said that, though, out of, out of all the teams, I mean, and you could throw the Mets in there too if you want, who's been the biggest surprise positively and negatively for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have two positives, if that's okay. Um, yeah. The Padres, to me, I did not expect this offense to be as good as it's been. You know, I think they're as of yesterday, they were like tops in the National League in runs. And it's just very surprising because it's pretty much the same group they've had last year where they didn't hit at all. So I wonder if that's a small sample size thing, but you know, they have young pitching on the way. Mackenzie Gore is going to make his debut sometime in the next few weeks. I would think Chris Paddock continues to look like a young budding ace. Those are really good pitchers on that team. They got to get Kirby Yates, right? But I'm not really too worried about him either. So to me, the Padres are the biggest threat in the NL West to the Dodgers. And I would think, with you know first and second place teams making the playoffs this year they got to feel pretty good and then the White Sox they just all of a sudden just found a bunch of really good young positional players Yaw Moncada continues to take step forwards Abreu had a big home run the other day Luis Robert looks like the rookie of the year like it seems like that's not decided because it's been 12 games but he has a huge jump on everybody else because he's really he started from day one and that's huge in a season like this. And he looked, he, I think I saw yesterday that he has the best war amongst like American league players so far. So he's been as good as they get. Giolito had the rough first start. He's been really good his last two. So I'm really encouraged by those two teams. And then negatively, I think you got to go with the Mets because I thought this starting pitching would be bad. I did not expect Porcello to look like he shouldn't be on the team. I thought he would be a Vargas type, one good, one bad. He looks like he's got nothing left, and he's walking people. And I think when a control guy starts walking people, it's because he's afraid of getting hit. So I, I think he's close to done. 
you know, they got the injuries now, the bullpen, you know, we had a, we said, pick one prediction for the year. Some crazy thing. I said, Familia is going to be good this year. I didn't expect Familia to be good this year and the rest of the pen to be awful. I mean, Lugo's blown a couple of games, you know, Edwin Diaz has lost the closer job literally a week into the season. So there. Tansis hasn't been good either. Tansis has been bad. And you know what? You don't even know how healthy he is. You know, they didn't think he was going to be ready for the first opening day. And then they kind of ramp up in this two, three week stretch. Velocity has been up and down, up and down. So that's the big negative to me because I don't really see them turning it around quickly. Well, you hit on the White Sox and you forgot about Dylan Cease too, who had a good start, good start his last time out. Granted, it was against the Royals. I get it. The team that I'm surprised about is the Indians in that division, uh, six and six. And I didn't think the Twins would be this good so fast. I knew the Twins. I knew the Twins would contend. I didn't think that they would be terrible. Um, but yeah, they're cruising right now. They're hitting on all on all cylinders. Um, and no pun intended. Nelson Cruz has been amazing. I mean, I mean, he is the two the two most fascinating hitters in that division, in my opinion are Jose Abreu and Nelson Cruz. Not saying that they're the best, but they're just fascinating to watch. I've equated Jose Abreu in the past to Mike Lowell. He's just going to be a guy that gets no attention, but he's going to hit 25 and 100 every year. I mean, notice if you do that in 60 games this year, you you should win the MVP hands down. And Nelson Cruz is like 500 years old, and he continues continues to mash the baseball. Uh, And and I think, you know what? Uh, I'll, I'll put my tail between my legs and say that I was wrong. Minnesota could be for real. I don't know if this is just a fast start. Maybe I'm just over-exaggerating, but the lineup is there to stay, I think. This is the team that won the division last year, and they have a very, very dangerous lineup. You've seen all the damage they've done so far to, you know, good pitchers, and they all have Donaldson. Donaldson's been dealing with a calf injury. It's, It's crazy that they're this good when I don't think they really have any pitching other than Barrios. That's really the thing. Right. They did this last year, too, where they basically had one starter. They add Rich Hill and, um, and Homer Bailey, thinking those guys are going to give them quality innings, which I didn't really understand. Hill is 40, and he's always hurt. He's been hurt for 10 years. And Homer Bailey was done like 2012. So I don't really understand how they thought they can get away with that, but it looks like they could get away with that because they don't seem to really need starting pitching the way they hit. And I think that's the thing. Listen, I know it's a cliche to say, oh, you want to get off to a fast start, but it's ultimately a marathon in baseball. You're going to play 162 games. Everything levels out. That might not be the case this year. You know, if the Twins start out 30 and 12, they can coast the last, you know, 15 games or whatever the math is. Whether you're the one seed or the eight seed, it doesn't really matter. Right. Because it doesn't look like we're going to get fans in the ballpark at some point this year. And everyone's playing a best two out of three to start the playoffs. So – if, you know, they finish as the seven seed with 28 wins or they finish as the three seed with 40 wins, who cares? So right. it really is about just getting guys healthy once you get past this initial sprint. Here's my one thing that I was wondering about, and it might not just be the twins, but I guess it's just pitching in general. I wonder if the pitchers who are off to fast starts will continue to have the fast starts. I'm not worried about Jacob DeGrom, Max Serger, or those type of guys. But, you know, like, for instance, a new guy like Brady Singer, or Dylan Cease, two young guys that, you know, it's for, for Singer, obviously it's his first year. Dylan Cease is still trying to figure it out. They're going to be facing the same lineups over and over again throughout the regular season. And those are just two examples. I'm sure there are veterans out there too. For instance, uh, you know, Michael Waka, uh, Rick Porcello. Do you think that these pitchers can sustain this? Or do you think this is just going to be a thing where, 
okay, eventually the lineups will catch up to them because they'll play them so often. No, I, I think these guys can sustain it. I mean, you look at, you know, the guy you, you guys you mentioned, those are playing in the AL Central. They're playing the Detroit lineup. They're playing the Kansas City lineup. They're playing, you know, the White Sox lineup is definitely better, but at the same time, you know, it's not a juggernaut team. So these, these pitchers are going to be seeing them over and over again. They're going to see, you know, Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, who knows what the St. Louis Cardinals are going to put out there in a couple of weeks if they eventually play again. So I think if playing those same lineups, I would rather do that than play other better lineups going forward. So I think, you know, there's no reason Brady Singer can't do that and finish second rookie of the year to Eloy. Right. All right. And one last team, obviously we'd be remiss and this will be the talking point here. The Yankees off to a very hot start, eight and one. Aaron Judge has hit a home run in every game that he's played in this year. It seems like, what was it? Six and five games, right? Six home runs in five games for, for Aaron Judge. This team was already a top pick to, to not only win the East, but the American League and the World Series. They're certainly playing like that. Uh, I'm not going to knock them for the division being a little down because the Yankees were still the best team in that division anyway. But what are you making out of them? I mean, it's a hot start. They, like you said, the division isn't good. I'm a little concerned because they're going to need some more starting pitching to get through this thing. You know, Tanaka, you know, with the, with the concussion, that's an issue. You know, how is his his arm going to bounce back? You know, he now really lost part of the summer camp, and now they're trying to ramp him back up where you have six weeks. So that's an issue. I don't know what to think of James Paxton. I mean, he, his velocity is down. Uh, they're basically saying we think he's healthy, but we're going to find out. And, like, it's a weird situation to be in because you don't really know what to expect from him game to game other than the fact that the velocity is down and you're not really sure how he'll look. Um, they have Jordan Montgomery, who I'm, I'm a fan of. I think, you know, they're going to need him this year. And, you know, obviously Cole is Cole, but who, who goes behind that? And you're going to be, you know, they're a playoff team. There's two or three teams that basically they can cruise the rest of the way and get there. They're one of them. But if they get into a series where they're playing the A's, two out of three in a two seven matchup, you know, I don't know how confident I would feel that these other starting pitchers after Cole are going to come through. It's a shame for me to say this and it kills all of my credibility, but if the Yankees ever play the A's or twins in the playoffs, I've got no worries for, for the Yankees. It just always seems to be that way. I don't know about the A's because like they have legit starting pitching this year, but you know, anytime they play the twins, I'm like, that's a win. So. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And then especially when it comes to uh, if, if that idea ever passes of the teams choosing who they want to play. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have this many playoff teams, you might as well do that because at least it'll give us something to talk about. But I just think it's too many playoff teams. I mean, I, I as a Met fan, should be panicked right now. I should be panicked. We have no starting pitching. The offense is in disarray. You know, we don't have any bullpen relievers. And at the same time, I'm like, if, if they get hot for three weeks, they're making the playoffs because right. more than half the league is making the playoffs. And I just – I don't want to feel that way in a 162-game season because it used to be every game we go to mattered. Every right. game is significant. It, it creates momentum. It creates this. And now it's kind of just like you just – eh, you get hot at, it. So at some point. You'll be fine. And I, I don't like playing the game that way, but I think the expanded playoffs, maybe not eight teams, maybe it'll be seven teams, but I think it'll be here to stay. I mean, I'm an old soul. Uh, so I'm somebody that doesn't want the DH. I understand why it's coming down, but I don't want it anymore. I, I don't like these seven inning doubleheaders, but I understand that we're in uh, an anomaly type year. 
Having said that, you're 100% right. I always felt like things in baseball were more earned than other sports for this reason, that it's such a long season and only a select few teams get there. I know that people will come at me and say, well, the Stanley Cup, you're, 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 you're fighting for two months. I get that. I'm not saying that baseball's tougher than hockey or whatever. But, you know, the reason that there are such huge celebrations after every round victory in baseball is because it's such a long – yeah, because it's, it's a long marathon. And it, it, it's really hard to get to those points. Uh, and having said that, I think, you know, one of the few positives of Rob Manfred's tenure so far has been the wild card. I've really enjoyed it because now it doesn't disenfranchise the wild card winner like it did in the past, who would normally come out of the American League East and just sit on cruise control for the final 10 days of the season. Like you're actually fighting for it now and you're fighting for a home game. And we saw last year the Nationals won the World Series as the wild card team. It's possible to win the World Series as long as you get in. Um, but yeah, if everyone's just going to get there now, it, it, it really just disenfranchises it. You know, I don't like it in basketball. I don't like it in hockey. Um, and, and more times than not, the best teams still win. But I feel like in baseball, that's not true because you're telling me that if the Mets didn't make, listen, I don't think the Mets were going to win the world series last year anyway, if they got into the playoffs, but if the Mets were the wildcard team, like the nationals, they certainly could have made that run. Right. You know, like, like there, there, are, there, are, there are many worse teams that actually advance further in baseball than in the other sports. Yeah, and it, it comes down to your starting pitching, and they would have had DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Wheeler. So I, I think they really would have had a legit chance at it. But I'm rooting for the most fluky, insane way for these playoffs to end as possible. They're trying to show these higher-ups of baseball, hey, by the way, you really can't give eight playoff teams – that because all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, the Padres winning the World Series and they had one starting pitcher and they finished 28 and 32. And, you know, I, I don't like it. I don't like the way it's going, but it seems like that's just the way it's going to be. And it diminishes the regular season. It'll make the playoffs fantastic. Like right. this two out of three, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wall-to-wall baseball. And I think that's going to be their big sticking point of why this is sticking around. But at the same time, it just – it really diminishes the regular season. 1,000%. And listen, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is money, Steve. That's what we're learning. The only thing that matters is money. They just signed a billion-dollar deal with Turner. Uh, I can't imagine that the ratings won't be up for the playoffs, especially now that you've got more markets watching. It's like think of a regular NBA season, not this year, but like you're March 15th, March 1st. You know, these teams are all on cruise control. They got nothing to play for. Teams are tanking. We're going to have teams tanking again. And it's just a disaster, and you're, you're barely tuning in. You're like, oh, wake me up when the playoffs start. You don't want that for baseball. I understand it'll be more money for them by just adding the playoff teams, but it's just going to kill the regular season where these games don't matter as much. Right, and, and what's funny is, like, let's use the Orioles, for example, right? Or, or we'll just make up a, a, a random scenario. But, for instance, I read an article a few years ago that said, baseball teams would rather have the first pick than be the la- than be the wild card winner. Really? You know, like, and then fight for that. Right. And then I- instead of like trading to-, to get there, like they'd rather have that top pick. And what's interesting about baseball in lieu of basketball and hockey is that at least in basketball, you could tank for Zion Williamson and you'll see Zion Williamson the next year. Right. If you're the Orioles and tank for Adley Russley, like what, uh, Russman, wh- what, uh, a different regime who's going to, reap the benefits of that you're not right and and right and exactly 100 percent. and a lot of these general managers that draft these players don't don't make it don't make it that far to see these players actually get there the 2015 team for the mets was basically assembled by omar Minaya. yeah 
in all of his drafts. And obviously and he, he wasn't around for that. The team is developed by Sandy, and Sandy has been gone right. for a couple of years. And, you know, eventually we're going to hear three years from now when whoever's the GM, oh, you know what, that guy was a Brody guy. And, you know, good job by Brody doing that. And we're going to have a couple of fluff pieces on Brody Van Wagen about, hey, he wasn't as bad as he thought because he brought in this guy. And that's just the way it goes in baseball. So, I mean, I think that's a big reason why the draft isn't that popular. It's because, you know, we can yell and scream how good this guy's going to be. But at the same time, people have short attention spans. And if he's not going to be a legit player for three, four, five years, who cares? Right. 1,000%. Uh, moving on, some injuries that, that really bum me out. The Shohei Otani is not as bad as Mike Soroka's injury. I felt awful when I saw him tear his Achilles because that's a year at least. Maybe he comes back next September, if at all. Uh, I wonder how the Braves will will manicure that for him, especially considering he's, a, he's still a young guy and they want to have him for as long as they can. And you see teams that really try to, um, they really try to cash in on the service time. What, do, what are you thinking of these injuries? And, and, what, and what's funny is, and I'm sorry, I know I asked you the question, then I go on a diatribe, but here's, here's at least how I see it. Um, it's, it's in, we're in August now, and I wonder why these players weren't in shape now. And I wonder if, 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 for instance, if this was a regular year, we wouldn't have these problems. Or do you think because baseball accelerated the process and they didn't have a definitive start date, this is the reason that you're seeing these players go a little too hard and get injured? I, I think it's totally the latter. I think, you know, having these guys start up, rev up, sit down, you know, you always hear that in bullpens. Oh, you shouldn't get that guy up two, three, four times in a game without putting him in. It's bad for bad for them. And that's kind of what you're getting here. They were revved up in March. They were revved up in July. We then all of a sudden hear, hey, by the way, there might not be a season in June. You get Banford coming out. How are they supposed to be ready and getting full, fully charged if they don't know if they're going to go? I think the Otani stuff is totally different. It seems like as a two-way guy with an injury history, he was kind of damaged goods going into the season. I would not put blame that on this season. Obviously, only the Angels and him know. But – these other ones I would think are more or less directly because of the rampant start. In addition to the extremely hot weather. I mean, these guys are used to getting started in 60, 70 degree weather. Now it's 90. Does that have an effect on, you know, an Achilles or an arm injury? I don't, we don't know. We're not doctors, you know, but at the same time, it, it can't have helped. So it's a big issue. And, you know, if you notice these injuries are all basically for pitchers. So oh, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, if, if it was strictly for something, you know, it's, it's their pitcher injuries. Right. Let me ask you this too. What do you think the angels ultimately do with Otani? I think, I think to preserve him, you got to just make him one thing or the other. I think, me too. Unfortunately, it was amazing. The idea of a two way player, a, a, you know, a, really amazing hitter who can also pitch we've seen what he can do on both sides of the ball but at the same time it doesn't look sustainable to me the way it's gone and he's you know it's going to you know if you try to keep making him pitch now it's affecting his hitting because in theory if he was not a pitcher this year you could be hitting him six times a week and now it's four times a week you're not sure if you know he needs another surgery can you even let him hit if he needs another surgery so you're messing with the bat to get the arm and it, it seemed like a great idea you know you've seen other guys trying to follow in the footsteps Hunter Green came out of the draft you know as a two-way guy you saw Brendan McKay but at the, at the same time it's just it doesn't work it hasn't worked it's going to take a really really special individual and I'm not sure if I would 
risk that because now all of a sudden this guy who could be a really good hitter and probably a really good outfielder is, you know, risking his career to try to make this work both ways. Right. And the reason why they're continuing this trial is because he's not making any money. If he was making $30 million a year, they would pick something. Yeah. Right. You know, that's another issue with baseball where they're saying, Hey, you know, you're 25 years old. You should not be allowed to make 10, 15, $20 million a year. You're going to be making close to league minimum, but it's, I think he picked them as a team because they said they would try the experiment as long as they could. I wonder if that point is now. I think they might give it another try next year because, frankly, they need the pitching and they don't really have a lot of options. But you could be messing with his career because they really, they really don't know if he can hold up as a pitcher. Here's the thing. I think ultimately there will be one day that he has to choose. But I think it's not going to be in the near future and it's not going to happen under Joe Madden. Joe Madden is the, uh, I don't know what you, what you would call him. He's like the crazy professor, right? Like he'll try, he'll try many different things. I think he, I think he floated. Having, didn't Anthony Rizzo play third base one game? Something like that? Like that? One game, second base. Second base, right. Yeah. Uh, so, so it wouldn't be out of the realm I don't of possibility. Think it's a decision. I think it, that's a huge, huge decision about one of your right. superstars. I think that comes from the ownership. And the GM probably has some say in it based on what the doctors and scouts are telling him. But what we've seen in that organization is that the owner always puts the manager in charge over the general manager. He sided with Sosha for all those years, and they fired Osmus to bring in Madden. I would think for this kind of decision, it's going to come from the scouts. It's going to come from the baseball people who are going to say, hey, we don't think he can hold up doing this. And it's also going to be a big factor in his decision. If he says, hey – I don't feel comfortable doing this both ways. They're shutting it down tomorrow. Right. Well, yeah, and, and I think that's the thing. Otani's going to be the last guy to concede, I yeah, think. I think so, too. Uh, but I, but I, th- I think he could be a special, special player if he was just focused on one thing. And again, right. if he's healthy, he can do both, and he's a top five player in the sport. Right. But I don't know if he can stay healthy, and it's – starting to get late because now it's been a, a few seasons of injury plague. You know, you have another one this year. I don't, I don't want to risk more time because you need him. You know, Alpapulos is really power or nothing right now. You know, you, you got Trout, you got Rendon. You really need another bat in that lineup. I don't know if Lestella's year last year is really legit. Adele is a rookie who's had one game. So it's, they're going to, you know, Justin Upton's going to hurt forever now. They really need that third middle of the order bat to go with Trout and Rendon to get into the playoffs. And you can't do that if he's on the shelf. All right. So gun to your head when we, re- when we replay this in 10 years and I'll hold your feet to the fire for this. Do you think he ends up pitching? Or you think he ends up hitting? Oh, he's a hitter. Totally. Yeah. Hitter. I think so too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just. All of his injuries have been related to, to pitching. So right. I would think that's the reason why they would shut it down. And he's shown the ability to be a all-star caliber hitter. At the league minimum, you stick with that. Right. All right. Speaking of shutdowns and the last topic here, all of the COVID stuff that's happening with the Marlins, now the St. Louis Cardinals. Listen, it's only a matter of time before another team gets hit. It it just is, unfortunately. And the problem is not – I don't think the problem is in stadium. I think it's the hotels. I think it's the travel with with these teams. You know, you saw the Mets. uh, They said they took six buses down to Boston. Boston did the same thing to come to New York. Uh, so that happens, but I, there was an article, I think, in The Athletic that said, you know, Joe Girardi was, like, forcing people out of his elevator who weren't wearing a mask. You know, they go to these Four Seasons, they go to these huge, wonderful, luxurious hotels, but they're still open to the public. It's not like the NBA where there's a bubble here, and yeah. I just don't know how baseball can sustain this 
and continue to keep it going. Right. I, I think, unfortunately, they need to make a decision. And that's not the players. It's not the teams. It's the Manfred front office. Do we want to make this work? Because if they want to make this work, they're going to have to invest more money into this. Get these guys their own hotels. No one else in the building other than workers. And they're going to have to be ultra, ultra careful because at the same time, they, I've heard reports, oh, they were, Marlins were at a casino. Marlins were at a hotel bar. The Cardinals went to a casino. That's the reason this happened, not because of anything else. But at the same time, if you're in a hotel and there's a million other people, there's million people in your elevator not wearing masks, there's nothing you can do to prevent right. getting corona if those people have it. And I think it just comes down to they have to protect these guys more. It's not about players doing more on their own. It's about keeping them isolated. And if you're not going to spend $100 million in a bubble, which it seems like it's too late for that now anyway, you got to do something like that. It's going to cost more money. It's going to cost a few million dollars to get that going. But I think that's the only way to do it. You got to separate these players from the public. And I don't think they're willing to do that because I think they'd rather just not spend any more money and cancel the season if they have to. Right. And I don't want to say it, but it seems like what we've seen so far, it looks like the owners are just basically saying, okay, here's your season. We're trying, quote unquote, we're trying, we're trying, but, no, but, but it's not going to work. Time. Yeah. It's, it seems like they're just doing that and saying the words we're trying to settle, not having a grievance, you know? And I think part of them, a part of them wants this to not work. Because then when the players go, oh, we could have played 80 games, we could have played 90 games, you know, we're suing for that amount of money that we lost. The owners can go, well, we, we barely got through 20. And that's, you know, that's what, you know, we wouldn't have worked. You're welcome for not putting you in further danger. And I think they're kind of privately rooting for that because they're just rooting for more dollars. And it's, it's very upsetting because it's never been this apparent how little the owners and the top cares about the sport. And, right. you know, maybe it's just a perception. Maybe they do deep down really love this sport. And Manfred's a huge baseball fan, but that's the way it's been perceived based on their actions so far. And I think they can still turn this around. They can still fix this. There's no reason why a Cardinals team should be in a hotel with other people right now. There's no way. Well, and how about the Marlins too? The Marlins, not only did they have all of those cases, then they had to drive down from Pennsylvania to Miami Seems on a bus. Insane. And, and, and here's the one thing, and I said this to my buddy Ted on another pod. This is what's been bothering me the most, and I want to get on the sports writers for this, particularly the baseball writers. Whenever they get a leak or one of their sources says, okay, we had, for argument's sake, 10 positive tests. Yeah. But eight of them were clubhouse guys and coaches. They weren't players. And then you get the sports writer saying, oh, well, thank God it wasn't players. These are still humans here, Steve. I mean, you know, like the forget that for a second, these clubhouse attendants are interacting and around these guys all the time. Yes. So the idea that it's, oh, if not a player, it's irrelevant because they're next to the player. They're hanging out with them all day. They're on these team buses, you know, so it's crazy to be like, oh, it's, it's only this guy. It's, it's fine because yes, they're human beings, but at the same time, the odds of them not spreading this when they're in close proximity to them at all times is, is slim. All right. Uh, that's all the baseball talk for today. I, I know you, obviously, the host of the All Hoops podcast, been listening recently. Like the Thibodeau hire for the Knicks? Uh, I don't. We've been working on trying to be positive about it, and we have a couple of you know thoughts of why it actually could be good for the Knicks. But for the most part, it just seems like another we're hiring a big name because he's a big name, and we'll we'll hope and see. But 
this is a team that it just needs to rebuild. It's been 20 years. They don't want to rebuild. They still don't want to rebuild. And they're going to need to eventually find a developmental coach who can help the young guys and, and get better. And I don't think it's Thibodeau. It could be. Maybe maybe that's his plan here. But it seems like they're, you know, they're going to just try to go sign star free agents and they're going to strike out and we're going to have this same conversation three years from now. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. And they truly need to tear it down. Unfortunately, they haven't had any luck in the lottery. There's nothing really here. So like, right. tear down. It's more just they need to spend the energy and the resources to develop young players in the hope of either trading those for stars or to make them good. And they don't seem to want to do that. They wanted to skip the step six, which is sign free agents. And they don't seem to really get that it has to go in order despite this going on for 20 years. Am I crazy for liking the Nets without uh, KD and, and Kyrie Irving? I mean, you can like them. It's, you know, anytime they, they are so much more fun to watch without Kyrie Irving. I'm sorry. The underdog team can sneak wins in. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You know, you saw, you know, what's his name? Karis, Le- uh, you got Levert and you got, you know, Joe Harris. And TLC. Allen, TLC. And, you know, it's, it's crazy that these guys are doing this. You have 40 year old Jamal Crawford trying to will his way <laughs> to a win for a quarter and a half before going down with a hamstring injury. So it's, it's fun to see underachievers overachieve. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying that they're a wonderful team or they're going to win the championship. It's just been fun to watch. Yeah, they're not going to win. I think. But at the same time, it's, it's been enjoyable. It's one of the highlights of the bubble so far. That and, uh, you know, you see what Portland's done. You've seen, you know, Phoenix. People are like, why is Phoenix even here? They're 3-0 right now. Devin Booker's hitting game winners against the Clippers. Right. It's people want to see the unexpected. And there's nothing more unexpected than this net team winning right now. Another thing that's a little unexpected, how about J.J. Redick becoming a meme? Yeah, that that's been. I mean, he was my favorite player growing up. Five, and I, I saw and they were just zooming in. I'm like, this is a meme. <laughs> totally a meme. And I've, I was very happy that it actually became a thing. Yeah, no, that, that was good. I mean, listen, he was, he's still my favorite player, uh, but he was definitely my favorite player growing up. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I think, I think in 30, 40 years, Adam Silver is going to be the best commissioner out of these four commissioners in this time period. I don't, I don't see how that is even needing a statement. It seems right. Odd. Yeah. The question is, are any of these other guys remembered fondly? I think that's the thing. Because Adam Silver, to me, is ahead of his time. He's a forward thinker. The smartest and so was David Stern. Right. The smartest thing any of these other guys can do is just try to follow his lead. That's the smartest thing they could do going forward. But I think uh, I would probably put Goodell, too. And it's a very, very far down from one. Are you saying it's a three-way tie for <laughs> three-way tie for last? I think the way Manfred's been, I think he's last. I don't know enough about hockey to talk about Batman, but it's it's been a rough year for Manfred. I mean, you, we talked about the Astros scandal, and nobody's had a bigger black eye on them this year in baseball than than them. Manfred's been worse. It's been worse for him this year than the Astros, and that's saying something. What did you think about the whole Joe Kelly suspension? Everyone thought it was too harsh. I thought it was right because, for one, they're trying really hard to not have teams come together. And, you know, all of a sudden, if one of these Astros or one of these Dodgers had coronavirus and they got to shut this down, the sport ends because you can't have these two top teams not playing while the Marlins aren't playing, while the Cardinals aren't playing. So, literally, if one of those guys had coronavirus, this sport is done. We're not talking about this right now. So, he could have destroyed the sport. And – you have Joe Kelly here, who's not his first offense. You got to remember that, too. And 
It's an eight-game suspension. He'll, I don't know if he appealed it. You could probably get that down to five or six. Yeah. That's, you know, pretty, that's pretty normal for a guy in his second offense. I, I thought it was fine. I mean, I wouldn't have gone any higher than that because all of a sudden then you're, you're changing the season. But he, he, they wanted to send a message that this is not okay. We're not trying to have brawls this year strictly because of coronavirus. But at the same time, he's also throwing a guy's heads. And no matter what you think of what the Astros did, no one deserves to be seriously injured in their head by a hundred mile an hour pitch. So, yeah. Yeah. See, I thought, I thought baseball could have like Al Capone this with the FBI. Like for instance, yeah, you're not going to listen. There's no way that you get the information that you do from the Astros without giving them immunity. Like there's no way that happens. But if you do want to have some punitive measures towards the Astros, maybe you suspend a few Astros for getting too close to the Dodgers bench. You know, like maybe that's the way that you can, you know, but listen, you shouldn't be throwing at guys' heads. Like that's, that's number one. But I'm just saying like, if, if you wanted to, I'm sorry. I think they did everything right in terms of the Oscar suspension originally. I mean, they gave them the largest fine they could. Right. GM is fired. The coach is fired. The top player who became a coach somewhere else is also fired. I mean, the apology could have went better, obviously, because they didn't sound very remorseful, which is because they weren't. Because they weren't. Which is why people are so upset about this. I mean, the only thing I probably would have done different is I probably would have hired a guy, a private security guy, and say, your job is to watch them all season. And they're going to be babysit all year. And if anything they're doing is somewhat questionable, you come report it, we'll leak it. And then, you know, who knows what they're considering doing? Because that's the only thing that I think is, is a problem here is how do we know this won't happen again? Especially right. if you're like this where baseball has so many problems, they can't be watching the Astros. So I thought, I think they should have really when hired somebody to do that and basically said, they're in, they're on house arrest. You know, we're going to be watching them because there's nothing really that hurts them going forward from this. And that's, I think the big issue here, especially because Dusty's been good. Oh yeah. No, Dusty's always been a good manager. He won't win you the big game. He'll take you to the big game, but he won't win you the big game. We'll see. I mean, he, he could do it with his Astro team. This team is really good, and they're going to get Verlander back at the right time. They got some really interesting young pitchers like, you know, Josh James, who I really like, and, you know, they got this kid Javier who pitched against the Diamondbacks. He had a really big outing, and, you know, Granky's still there. So, and this, it's a crazy good lineup, and they should have, a, you know, the bullpen should be pretty okay. So I, I think uh, their team, they're probably one of the two or three best teams in the league right now. Right, and with 29 teams making the playoffs, they should just waltz right in. Exactly. 100%. Steve, this was always fun, my man. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I hope uh, we have a long baseball season and we can do this again. 